Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. You know, a lot of folks come here because they're interested in a Jewish perspective on the Torah and a Jewish perspective on Yeshua. But sometimes we need to remember that's not the only perspective. Sometimes we need to think about how someone else might read the scriptures as an exercise, right? Who likes to exercise? Oh, yeah. I exercised once. It was great. I'm going to do it again. But we, you know, you got to kind of stretch. Stretch. Why don't we stretch a little bit? Oh, stretch, right? So we have to stretch a little bit to understand how someone else might read the scriptures. On the other hand, what I have to offer usually is a Messianic Jewish perspective. And I love sharing that with the Church of the City and connecting. A few months ago, I preached at what is called the Arabic Church of Richmond. The pastor contacted me and uh, we went for lunch and he very quickly invited me to share with the community almost right away. He was like, you gotta come and and share and and, and preach. And I was like, oh, all right. So uh, here's a photo of me sharing a message and uh, they translated everything into Arabic, as you can see, because a lot of the folks were uh, recent uh, immigrants from Egypt and Jordan and, and, and all over the Middle East. They even, get this, liked my jokes translated into Arabic. Isn't that great? Yes. So uh, there was an announcement on Facebook that said all are invited to worship and listen to Messianic Jewish rapper David Wine. I guess it was a typo. There was some sort of confusion. They don't have a lot of rabbis that come. And so they didn't, someone didn't know how to say that in Arabic. Uh, but anyway, that's, that was the translation. It had the, in English, that's what it said too. And uh, I, uh, when I started speaking, I just said, Hey, look, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not, I'm just a rabbi. I'm not a rapper. I'm not going to, you know, lay down any rhymes that evening. Although on the other hand, you know, I have been known to do that. I wouldn't put it past me, right? I have been known to do that. Maybe there'll be something kind of like that at the end of the sermon. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it'll be a song. Who knows? You never know with me. So after I spoke, I talked with the congregants and they were just full of, of light and love of God. It was just a, a beautiful community. And one of them happened to be a professor of the Old Testament, uh, or the Tanakh, as we say, at the Union Presbyterian Seminary. Union Presbyterian Seminary. I did not, that was not a joke. I just messed up there. His name was Safwat Marzuk, and we chatted for a while about my sermon. And uh, when I shared about God's faithfulness to Israel and uh, the oneness of God's people, so we we chatted about that. And he was like, yeah, we need to remember, you know, that there's other ways to read, read the scriptures. He was really engaged with it. And um, we also chatted about the portrayal of Egyptians 
in the Bible because he's he's Egyptian. So he shared with me some things. And I had just preached on Hagar. I don't know if you remember that. I preached on Hagar uh, uh, a few months ago. And so we talked about that and uh, the the portrayal of, uh, of Hagar and Egyptians in the Bible. Remember, Hagar is the enslaved Egyptian woman who was the first person, male or female, to be visited by the angel of the Lord and the first person, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free to actually name God, right? The God who sees me. She, she did that. And she happens to be female and Gentile and enslaved, right? So it's, it's sort of a reversal of, of what you might think of the Bible usually talks about. And so anyway, reading this week's Parsha about Egypt and the Egyptians and the final plagues, it got me thinking. I know how I read the plagues and the Exodus story, but I wonder how an Egyptian Christian would read it. How would the professor I met and the congregants I met and fellowshiped with, how would they read it? It also made me think of a a joke that I told at another Arabic speaking church uh, six years earlier. Back then, I wasn't as wise as I am now, you see, if you can imagine that. I I had a lot to learn. And so, uh, friends, I opened up with a joke, apologizing for the Exodus story to a bunch of Egyptians and saying, you know, no hard feelings about the Exodus. You know, not one of them laughed. And I just chalked it up to, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was a translation thing. But uh, my wife told me afterwards it was probably not the best way to go. So uh, (laughs) so I learned from it. Right. And uh, basically, I hadn't yet learned to how to read the Torah with empathy how to read the Torah with empathy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So while doing research for this sermon, I searched, I just did a Google search for an Egyptian Christian response to the Exodus. And I found an article and guess who wrote the article? Happened to be the same professor that I met and spoke with at the church. So I thought, huh, maybe it's the Ruach HaKodesh. Could be. So, and I found the, the, I found the article very helpful. And so here's some excerpts from, uh, it's, it's on the Huffington Post article by um, Professor Marzouk. And he's talking about uh, the Egyptian Christian perspective. I was born and raised in upper, upper Egypt. The population of the village where I grew up was predominantly Christian. My church had a daily program of Christian education for the children of the elementary and junior high school. Our Christian education teachers taught us the content of the Bible well. Central to the biblical narrative that we learned was the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. We were taught that Egypt, the anti-elect, oppressed the people of God. And as a result, God plagued Egypt with 10 plagues, culminating in the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. Absent from this biblical curriculum was any sympathy for the people who suffered from the plagues or the ones who drowned in the sea. We were reading the text from the perspective of the Israelites. The Egypt of the story stood in for something else. In the church or in the front of the biblical texts, especially the ones that portray Egypt as the house of slavery or a monster, we did not associate with Egypt. Uh, yet every morning at school, we sang, we sang the national anthem and we were taught in the history curriculum that uh, the Pharaoh's Egypt is a proud and central part of our tradition, history, and identity, unquote. It's interesting to think about, right? Professor Marzouk goes on to say that he struggled with interpreting the Exodus story as a Christian Egyptian and, and finding his identity in it. Egypt is portrayed so negatively. So to deal with that, what he's saying is he identified with Israel 
rather than uh, Egypt. And he read the story as kind of a metaphor for good and evil rather than reading it, you know, historically. He shares in the article that after watching The Prince of Egypt, uh, how many of you have seen that? It's an animated, uh, yeah, mo animated movie of the Exodus story. He watched uh, this movie with his seven-year-old. She asked him, Daddy, does God love Egyptians? It's an interesting question, right? When we read the Bible, we have to wrestle with these issues of chosenness and identity. But the best way to navigate it is by reading the Torah and by treating others with empathy. Empathy is hard. Thinking about someone else's experience, someone else's story, understanding someone else's pain is, is not naturally easy for us, but it's important. So this time reading through the Parsha, I noticed something interesting. This is from Exodus 11, verses 1 and 2. Now Adonai had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely thrust you out altogether from here. Speak now into the ears of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and gold. They were neighbors. Do you ever think about that? They were in the same general area where the Israelites could just go over and ask for silver and gold. So these folks in the same neighborhood are seeing what? Blood in the water. They're seeing frogs. They're seeing the cattle disease. All nine plagues. They're seeing when the Israelites had light in their camp and they didn't because it's right. They're neighbors. It's right there. And so when the 10th plague is upon them in this week's Parsha and the children of Israel are putting the blood of the lamb on their doors, what do you think they're thinking? Huh? I think it's possible and even probable that some of the Egyptians said, you know, given the events of the past few days, it seems like the God of the Hebrews seems to be over and above all these other powers that we worshiped and over and above the Pharaoh and, and these other things. And perhaps I might want to put the lamb's blood on my door as well. Do you think that's possible? I think that's probable. Here's another scripture that could add to this possibility. Uh, and this is also from the Torah portion. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot, as well as children. Also, somebody say also, a mixed multitude went up with them, along with the flocks, herds, and heavy livestock. So a mixed multitude, not just the children of Israel, came out of Egypt. Perhaps some of these Egyptians put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And then they came to revere the God of Israel. That is the God of creation and redemption. I believe this is a probable outcome given the text. It kind of makes sense, right? If you read it, if you're reading it, right? They're neighbors. And then a mixed multitude came out. So some of them must have gone, hey, I think this God of Israel is the real true God, right? And in him is salvation. In last week's Torah portion, uh, the Lord relays this to Moses. But Pharaoh will not listen to you, so I will lay my hand upon Egypt. 
and bring forth my armies, my people, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring out B'nai Israel from among them. I really love this passage because it has all the nuances that we're looking at here. Yes, God chose Israel and he is rescuing them from slavery, from oppression. From another angle, though, it says that the Egyptians, as well as Israel, will know what? That he is the Lord, that he is Adonai. In a Messianic Jewish synagogue, we also talk about both the distinction of the Jewish people in Messiah while balancing that with God's love for all the nations. And I think the, the passage does the same thing, right? I'm going to bring out Israel so that not only Israel, but the Egyptians also will know that I am the Lord. That's what it's saying, right? And uh, so in this passage, the judgment is on Pharaoh. And the judgment, if you look at the plagues, the judgment is on the gods, the so-called gods of Egypt. But there are many Egyptians, the people who come to know God, right? Who oppose Pharaoh, right? In this week's passage, or I think it might be last week's passage, I think Lloyd might have mentioned it. They're they're like, hey, Pharaoh, uh, I think <laughs> that we can't do this with our magic, right? This is the hand of God. Do you remember reading that? Remember when Lloyd shared that with us? So there are Egyptians who do come to know God. And that is indeed part of the whole plan, because he says that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. And remember the Egyptian midwives in the beginning of the story, what were they doing? They rescued Israelite baby boys from annihilation. The Torah says that they feared or revered God, and therefore God blessed their families. So the Lord is God of Israel, and he's God of the nations. The question is, who do we identify with? Do we automatically identify, oh, uh, look at Moses. That's me, right? When we read the story, sometimes. Do we identify with the Israelites? Do we identify with the Egyptians? Do we identify with Pharaoh? There may be some parts of us that are, that are like that. Hopefully not, not fully. He was a bad dude, right? But there, there are aspects of Pharaoh. It's harsh, but it's true even for the great kings among Israel. Let's take a quick look at Solomon, for example. Solomon's reign starts off wonderfully for the most part. Uh, his father, King David, dies and Solomon's throne is secured. Then the first thing he does after tying up some loose ends from King David is this. This is the first thing. Before he asks for wisdom, before any of that, this is what he does. Then Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marriage, taking Pharaoh's daughter and bringing her to the city of David until he finished building his own house, the house of Adonai, and the wall around Jerusalem. Huh. An alliance, a political alliance with Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? Obviously, this is not the same Pharaoh as the Exodus story, you know, many years earlier, but it's in the Torah for a reason. Why does the Torah tell us this? Solomon's heart is starting to move in that direction. He's marrying Pharaoh's daughter. But why? The Torah doesn't say. So we have to kind of think about it, right? Maybe he's securing 
his kingdom, but he's doing it through an alliance with another kingdom that might have different values and different gods, right? Now, I want to say that there's nothing wrong here with with Egyptians, right? Or aspects of ancient Egyptian culture, but rather what the Torah is showing us is there's something wrong with the gods, the so-called gods of Egypt, right? Uh, the point of the Torah saying that Egypt will know along with Israel uh, that the Lord is God, that's, that's the point of that. So this would have been good if Solomon was spreading the Torah and the light of God to Egypt, right? If it was going in that direction, that would have been good, right? Because Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. But is that what ended up happening? Mm, not really. And then we'll see some, some other good choices that Solomon makes. So we're like, okay, maybe this is okay. Maybe he's on track again. So uh, after this, God tells him he can ask for anything. And he asked God for a listening heart, for wisdom to be able to lead this great people. Then he makes a brilliant choice. There's two women that are arguing over a baby as to which one is the mother. And he says to cut the baby in half. And the real mother says, no, give it to the other woman rather than let it die. And the imposter says, go ahead and cut it in half. It's neither mine nor hers. And Solomon says, give it to the first woman. She's the real mother. Okay, so yeah, that's a, a brilliant move, right? He's, he's doing great. He's ruling with wisdom. He asked God for wisdom. And uh, we're, it might be okay. And then we get to the very next chapter, chapter four of uh, First Kings. And this is what it says. Now, King Solomon reigned over all Israel, and these were his officials. And then it has, you know, all the people. I'm not going to read all those names. Blah, 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 Huzi Poo and uh, Fulano de Tal and all those people. And then look at the last verse. Uh, Adoniram, son of Abda, in charge of the forced labor. Interesting. It's hiding amongst all those names, right? He had this person in charge of that, and that's good, and this person in charge of that, and some guy over the forced labor. Where do we remember seeing those words before? It's the same Hebrew words as in Exodus, describing Pharaoh. These are hints given to show Solomon's slow downfall as the king of Israel with these Pharaoh-like qualities seeping into his kingdom until it collapses. My point is that this is not an Egyptian versus Israelite thing. Both Jews and the nations had the capacity. We have the capacity to be like Moses, and we have the capacity to be like Pharaoh. And we're not all one or all the other. It's, it's a mixture, right? And God is, is, is sanctifying us, cleaning us up, making us into his image, right? But, uh, you know, we don't always identify with Moses if we're, if we're being honest. The key is to read the Torah with empathy and compassion, just as we should treat one another. We read the text the same way we treat one another with empathy. In terms of identity, Moses is steeped in Egyptian culture. He knows he's an Israelite, but guess what? He was raised in Pharaoh's palace. So there's an interesting, <laughs> this is an interesting scene. He, he uh, kind of saves, uh, he woos his wife, Zipporah. There's seven daughters of, uh, of Jethro, and uh, there are these bad 
shepherds that are preventing them from getting water at the well. And what does he do? He, he rescues them and, and provides water for them. And uh, the, the daughters, uh, including Zipporah, his eventual wife, uh, run back to the father. And this is what they say about Moses. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. He also drew water for us and watered the flock. Who's the Egyptian? It's Moses. That's what she thinks he is, right? Because that's how he appears. We also remember someone else appeared as an Egyptian. Who was that? Joseph, right? Joseph appeared as an Egyptian ruler to his brothers, and he used an interpreter before revealing himself. Joseph and Moses are both fluent in Egyptian culture, navigating through dress and custom and language, yet they never forget their origin. It reminds me of Paul's statement here about gospeling in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win over more of them. To the Jewish people, I identified as a Jew, so that I might win over the Jewish people. To those under the Torah, I became like one under Torah, though not myself being under Torah, so that I might win those under the Torah. To those outside the Torah, like one outside the Torah, though not being outside God's Torah, but in Messiah's Torah, so that I might win over those outside the Torah. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win over the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the good news, so that I might be a fellow partaker of it. To me, this is describing empathy, compassion, awareness of the culture and feelings and point of view of others. This is not Paul pretending to be something he's not. What is he doing? He's showing empathy. I love uh, uh, David Stern of Blessed Memory, his, uh, his explanation of this passage in the uh, Complete Jewish Bible uh, Commentary for the New Covenant. Um, this is what uh, David Stern says, quote, No, Shaul did not play charades in becoming as the people around him. What he did was empathize with them. He put himself in their position, hence the lengthy phrase I used to translate, become as. He entered into their needs and aspirations, their strengths and weaknesses, their opportunities and constraints, their ideas and, and feelings and values. In short, to use the current vernacular, he tried to understand where they were coming from. In addition, he made a point of doing nothing to offend them. Having established common ground with those he was trying to reach, he could then communicate the good news in patterns familiar to them using rabbinic teaching methods with Jews and philosophical thought forms with Greeks, unquote. That makes sense to us, right? Right? He's, he's not changing who he is, but he's using empathy to communicate the good news. Moses and Joseph and Paul are empathetic in their relating to other cultures, such as Egyptian. Plus, Egypt has many positive mentions in the scriptures, including as a safe haven for the Jewish people for a season. Remember, that's the whole... Genesis story, the whole Joseph story is about that. And, and also Egypt is a safe haven for our people in the gospels. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter two. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of Adonai appears to Joseph in a dream saying, get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and went to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. This was to fulfill what was spoken by Adonai through the prophets, through the prophets saying, out of Egypt, I called my son from Matthew 2. Notice the echoes of Genesis and Exodus story. 
just the name Joseph, right? The fact that Yeshua's adopted father is 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 named Joseph is is significant. And then escaping from a tyrannical leader trying to kill the infant boy, right? That's what the Pharaoh was doing. But the key thing here is they're retreating to Egypt as a safe haven, which is what Joseph and his brothers did. So Egypt is is sometimes portrayed very well. So moving from the written page to our hearts, how can we translate this empathy from our reading to our actions? Well, empathy is another way to say love. So here's a helpful acronym with some uh, empathy tips. I was going to use the word empathy to make an acronym, but you know that's that's too much to remember. Love is just four letters, so that's easy. But you you get it, right? You're going to go with me on this? All right, thank you. All right, so L is for listen. O is for open the door. V is for value others. And E is for examine assumptions. L is for listening. We talk a lot about shamaing, right? Hearing with understanding, with compassion. Paying attention to the Torah uh, reveals that God does care about the Egyptians, as we saw, right? And so that means we have to pay attention when we read and pay attention when we talk to others. The moments that it's hardest to listen are those when we're hurt. So we have to pay special attention when we're hurt to try to listen with understanding and with empathy. This is how Proverbs 18.2 puts it. A fool finds no delight in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Isn't that interesting? Moses was a good listener, even to the Israelites, right? When was he listening to them? When they were kvetching and complaining, right? Even God is a good listener. He told us, he said the central prayer of our people is to do what? Shema. We're supposed to listen, right? That's what he told us. But guess what? God listens to us. He bends his ear, right? He stretches like you did at the beginning of the sermon, right? He bends his ear to hear our cries because he has empathy and compassion on us. What was O for? Open the door. Yeshua declares in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The Lord partakes with us. He wants to be with us. And he also said, whatever we do for the least of these, we did for him. So empathy means opening the door for the Lord. But guess what? Opening the door for others, being invitational. When others might be rejectors, let's be welcomers. God opened the door for non-Israelites to join Israel in the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. So shouldn't we be like God? Shouldn't we do the same and have the same character? V is for what? Valuing others. Moses valued Jethro, his father-in-law, and Sapporah, his wife. They were both from Midian which was a historic enemy of Israel. God values the Egyptian midwives for their bravery. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says this, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Looking looking out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And finally, E is for examine assumptions. Good. We might assume 
that the Egyptians are the bad guys in the story, or worse, that might affect our view of Egyptians today. And we might assume that a, a great king of Israel like Solomon could never be anything like Pharaoh, right? But sometimes we have to examine our assumptions. Some of the best relationships and friendships I have, I have made here in Richmond have been with Arab Christians. And I've had a real close relationship with, with a lot of them uh, over the years. So to help us remember these love and empathy tips, uh, why don't we do, I, I think I, I alluded to, we might do a song or a rap or something like that. You want to do that to help us remember? Okay. Let's go over here. Okay. Some of you might know the, there's a, there's a song, uh, L-O-V-E. So if you know that, um, you can sing along with me. L, you got to sing with me. L is for listening to understand. O is for opening the doors with outstretched hands. V is valuing others in the image of God. That was great. I heard I heard you singing, especially by the end. All right. <laughs> Again? All right, one more time. Five, six, seven, and love is for listening to understand. Oh, is for opening the doors with outstretched hands. V is valuing others in the image of God. And E is examining assumptions that might be odd and love is turning the other cheek love is seeing things the way others see compassion is the ticket to deal with any sticky wicket love is all about empathy Okay, I'm not doing it again. Hopefully you got it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pray. Um, Avinu, our Father, thank you that you have uh, shown us the way of empathy and you've given us your scriptures, Lord, and help us to, to read the Torah and to treat others uh, with respect and empathy and to put ourselves in their shoes and to not be so self-centered, but to think about how they feel uh, and uh, where they're coming from, especially those of different culture or something like that, um, that we might be able to uh, represent you and, and, and be how you are because you listen to us and you, uh, you spread your, uh, your love and your compassion to the ends of the earth, but you've called us to partner with you in that because you said to be fruitful and multiply. So help us to fulfill our Adamic um, charge uh, that you gave to Adam and Eve to uh, to bring blessing to the ends of the earth and to uh, to bring light to others and help us to be empathetic 
and uh, to, to think about how others might feel um, before we say something and uh, that we would uh, truly represent you in this, in this world that you created. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.